Tonight our lesson is on the tongue. It's not speaking in tongues, but the tongue that's in our mouth. When we understand that this muscle in our mouth is for speech, for tasting, for swallowing, and in some places it says that there's over 9,000 taste buds in the tongue, you know, to taste sweet, salty, bitter, or like some kids don't like squash, and things like that. The interesting thing is the, the powerful part of the tongue in the Bible actually talks about how it expresses the intent and disposition of someone's heart. And we've spoken about that several times, that the heart's involved uh, with different things that we've talked about in, in Proverbs. One thing that I put up here, I found this quote that I don't know who the author is, but it says, many things are opened by mistake, but none so frequently as the mouth. And that's true. Uh, a lot of us have hoof and mouth disease, um, especially as salesmen, uh, that sometimes we talk too much instead of being quiet. If you'll turn in your Bibles to James chapter 3, James chapter 3, before we get started. In James chapter 3, in verse 2, it says, For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body. That perfect man, or the perfect part on there, some of your Bibles might say mature, that uh, if he's able to do this, he is a mature man. When you go to, to um, James chapter 3, that was verse 2. When we look at verse 3 and 4, we see something here. It says, indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Just the small bit, some of y'all that have horses know that that little small bit, you can, you can change the direction of a horse. A horse is a muscular animal. It's a big animal. When you go a little farther, it, said, it talks about ships in verse 4. Look also, this is James chapter 3, verse 4. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot uh, desires. It's amazing with the ships, of course, they're probably talking about sailing ships here and the issues that it, how strong these little small things are kind of in, in relation to uh, the tongue. When you go on a little farther, in verse 5, it says, Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. Then in verse 6, the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fi fire the course of nature. It is set on fire by hell. And then in verse 7, it says... The beasts are able to be 
controlled or trained by man, but no man can tame what? The tongue. And he goes on to say, it says that no man can can tame the tongue, but it also says it is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. And then when you go down to verses 9 and 10, it says, With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. And then listen to what he says in verse 10. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things, what? Ought not to be. Well, we didn't talk about it on the front end, but the tongue can be used for positive things. We can teach, right? We can teach the Bible to people. We can teach our family members. We can be truthful with them. But in many of the cases, the tongue is, is referenced to something that has to do with iniquity. Any comments on this so far? If you go to Matthew 12 and 34, Matthew 12, 34, in Matthew 12, 34, it says before this in verse 33, it says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for a tree is known by its fruit. Then brood of vipers, in other words, offspring of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth does what? Speaks. So here is the situation that, again, the heart's involved, isn't it? It's a heart condition. When you skip over just a few chapters to 15 and verse 11, 15 and verse 11, we know that in, in this particular instance, it's, it says in verse 10, then he called the multitude and said to them, hear and understand. This is verse 10. And then he says to them, basically, it's not what we eat that defiles a man, isn't it? It's not what goes in there, but what comes out of the mouth defiles a man. And when you think about that and you go down a few verses into verse 17 of chapter 15 of Matthew, do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, theft, false witness, blasphemies. These are things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. When you think about this and you, and you think about defilement, here we go that it's a heart condition that we've already said. And then when you look further in Matthew, it says... But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of it on the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So what we say, how we say it, is important. When uh, we go a little farther and we go into Proverbs, it says... 
The hypocrite with his mouth destroys his neighbor, but through knowledge the righteous will be delivered. How can a hypocrite destroy his neighbor? Any ideas? It's like he's wearing a false face or something, isn't it? Right, and so therefore he could destroy his neighbor by telling him what's not so. He's he's really bearing a false witness, isn't he, about his neighbor. And we've talked about hypocrites before. An example, and we're not going to read all of this. Some of you might remember Naboth in 1 Kings 21, 1 through 13. I'm not going to read it all. But Naboth had a vineyard. His vineyard was right next to the king's palace. The king was Ahab, a nice guy, wasn't he? No, he wasn't a nice guy. Well, Ahab liked Naboth's vineyard. So he goes to Naboth and he says, and I'm paraphrasing, I'll pay you for it or I'll trade you for another. Does Naboth agree? He doesn't agree because this vineyard was part of an inheritance. So it's from what we read, it was passed down. He didn't want to give it up. Well, Ahab's not real happy. He goes away, goes home, he starts pouting He gets in the bed and he won't eat. Well, he's got a great wife that we chat, you know, we will name our children after his wife, won't we? I'm just kidding. It's Jezebel. Jezebel says, what's wrong? He says, Naboth won't, you know, work with me with his vineyard. She goes, I can fix that. You're the king. So she draws up a document on his letterhead, I call it, and sends it out that they'll have a fast, put Naboth in the, in the choice seat, and have, and my Bible says, two scoundrels come and bear a lie about him, bear false witness. Naboth goes to the fast. He sits in the choice seat. The two scoundrels basically said he's blasphemed God. Do you know what that means? That means death. That means stoning. So they stone him. They kill him. And guess what? Ahab gets it. What did those two witnesses do? They lied, didn't they? They they were giving false witness. And what does the Lord say? We We can't get by with one witness, can we? She was smart enough to have two, wasn't she? Against them. But here is something that was falsely said in front of these people, and a man loses his life. Now, we know Jezebel and Ahab paid this later, didn't they? But it just shows you from the stories of the Old Testament on how the tongue has caused good people to lose their lives or lose homes, lose different things. When we think about that, any, any thoughts? Any issues? Let's turn over to 
Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6. Well-known passage that probably out of anything we remember in Proverbs is Proverbs chapter 6 and these verses 16 through 19. When you look at that, in verse 16, it says, these, thing, these six things the Lord hates. And when it says he hates them, he hates a proud look. Why would it be a proud look? What would be the problem with that? The eyes tell what's in the heart. That's exactly right. So the eyes are involved there, aren't they? Then it's a lying tongue. We understand that lying is not acceptable by God in different parts of the Bible. So here's the tongue. So we've got the eyes and we've got the tongue involved again. And then there's a part in there that says the hands that, sh that shed, and mine says, innocent blood. So here's a murder and the hands are involved. So we've got the eyes. We've got the tongue, and we've got the hands involved so far. Then the heart that devises wicked plans. Isn't it interesting that when we study these things in Proverbs, how much the heart comes up, how much heart conditions are involved. And here's a heart that's continuously devising wicked plans. So now we've got the heart involved. Then the feet that our mind says swift running to evil, which we've seen people that they just love to be involved with any kind of evil and to be involved with going there and doing it quickly. So now we got feet involved. And then we just talked about false witnesses and lies with a person, which is again the tongue. And then the bottom one says sowing discord among brethren. You know, that's a, that's a pretty serious issue, isn't it? Because it's not only telling us that there's discord, but who's it with? It's with our people, isn't it? It's with our brothers and sisters that they're sowing discord, which is the tongue again. So you've got lies, discord, and lying tongue, and the heart's involved again. So three out of the seven are involved with the tongue, and God hates it. What did I leave out on here? Or did I leave anything out? I left out the word what? It said in verse 16, these six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are what? An abomination to who? To God. What, what does abomination mean? Does that mean it's worse? <laughs> Morally repugnant. Morally repugnant. Um, I've read in, in some of the lexicons, disgusting. Uh, another one put stinking. Another one put uncleanness. So here we see in Proverbs, the tongue is, a, is the main part, but it, guess what else is involved? Just like anything else, our eyes are involved. Our other parts of the body are involved with sin, aren't they? That we have to control, especially with murder and, and uh, running to evil and devising wicked plans. Any comments on this?
It, that's the basic part. It? You can just put the heart around each one of these. When we go a little farther in Proverbs 6, if you're still there, let's go up to verse 12. In verse 12 of Proverbs 6, it says, a worth, this is the New King James Version, a worthless person, a wicked man, walks with a perverse mouth. Now, here he is, the very first part, he's walking with a perverse mouth. I'll go ahead and put the, the, the things up. He walks with a perverse mouth. He winks with his eyes. He shuffles his feet. He points with his fingers. Verse 14, perversity is in his heart. He devise, devises evil continually. And guess what the last one is again? Sowing discord, isn't it? Do you think that when Solomon and the others that are writing, when they continue to reverbalize for us or reproverb us with it, that it's pretty serious to sow discord? I don't think we take that serious enough, do we? When, when we think of this discord, how many times have we seen in times past that churches have split over this, haven't they? Over something simple, something really that there's nothing to it. The interesting part of this in Proverbs, it doesn't say that he's just a wicked man. It says that he's a worthless man. <laughs> That's kind of like saying he's worse than bad, isn't he? When you look at this perverse mouth and you think about being perverse, what, how would you define a perverse mouth the way it's used? It's not something good, is it? Obscene. Obscene. Um, Anything else? Taking something that was designed for good and changing it. Basically reversing it, isn't it? I put it just like uh, Brian says, turn away from what is right. It's an obstinate way or an obstinate, obstinate attitude. And here is this perverse mouth that's basically arguing with everything that's right. When somebody winks their eyes, I thought that was good. You know, in the old days, when the guy winks at the girl, what'd that mean? I won't ask this. She better run. <laughs> she better run. <laughs> Look at Proverbs 10.10 10 on this winking of the eyes. Proverbs 10.10. 10. It's exactly what was just said. In Proverbs 10.10, he who winks with the eye causes trouble, but a prating fool will fall. You know, the, the, the issue is when you read body language, we tell a lot from the eyes, don't we? Even with a mask on, you can tell when somebody's smiling, can't you? And with their eyes, you can tell if they're almost being truthful with you or they're not. Uh, there was a guy years ago 
that Deborah didn't like that trained a lot of us on body language and nonverbal response. And we had hours and hours of the stuff. And he would go out to eat with Deborah and I, and he'd say things to her, and she almost couldn't eat because he's just reading everything she's doing. Well, we can read these people like this that are wicked, that are shuffling their feet and doing things like this. Look at Proverbs 1.16. Proverbs 1.16. Proverbs 1.16 says, For their feet run to evil, and they make haste to do what? Shed blood. So it's almost like this is, this is the main goal. Let's go as fast as we can. Let's go at Olympic speed so we can sh shed blood. And here it is pointing fingers. Um, different uh, people will go with different things, like they're showing you know, superiority. But guess what we come back to? Not only the perverse mouth with the tongue, but a perverse what? Heart again. So we've got this heart that's turning away from what's right. We've got a mouth that's turning away from what's right. And it's devising evil and it's sowing discord. When this wicked person continues to do these things, we got a problem, don't we? Well, how is discord sown? When you think about that, we go back to being contentious. Let's go to Proverbs 22 and 10. Proverbs 22 and 10. It says, cast out the scoffer and contention will do what? It will leave. Yes, strife and reproach will do what? It'll cease. So here is how you can stop discord because of this contentious spirit. The thing, second thing I had listed is a backbiter. In 25 and verse 7, 25 and verse 7, it says, For it is better that he say to you, Come up here, than that you should be put lower in the presence of the prince whom your eyes have seen. And here, oh, I went to 7 instead of 23. I wondered why we missed that. I'm sorry. Um, Proverbs 25, 23. It says, The north wind brings forth rain, and a backbiting tongue, an angry countenance. You know, somebody that's constantly on your back about something, what do you end up doing? You get tired of it, don't you? And being tired of it, the next issue is you become angry, don't you? And it, cons it consistently causes angst with you. Well, the next one that I put, which is unusual, is pride. If you go back to 13 and verse 10, Proverbs 13 and verse 10, if mine says, by pride comes only contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. We talked about pride in a, in a, a lesson before, 
But here is contention again with pride. And then the last one that I put up here is hatred. If you go just a couple of chapters over in 10 and verse 12, it says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. So this is how discord is sown. Is there anything missing that you would put up here? Because we know lying causes discord. Or better yet, and, what, what is missing? Anything you can think of? Well, it's airplanes. It's not airplanes. It's what I call friendly fire. You that were in the military, what does friendly fire mean? It means that we're both together, we're both on the same team, and Bruce shot me. What do you think I mean by friendly fire? Right. I'm talking about gossip. I'm talking about brothers or sisters that gossip, and who are they gossiping about? Brothers and sisters, aren't they? And when you, when you think of this with friendly fire, it's something that we have to understand that the person that got shot, me, by Bruce, I didn't know it was coming, did I? And I never even thought that it would come from him. And when he shot me, well, he might admit to do it to me after I gave him the gold medal. But the person, for instance, is David in a helicopter that fires the missile. He, he's not intending to hurt our own troops, is he? But our tongue can do that, can it? It can cause a problem for us that was unintended and an unintended victim, or we didn't think that that person was going to be the victim. David, yes, sir. I heard a long time ago someone said the Christian army is the only one who shoots itself in the foot. Bruce says he heard a, something a long time ago that said the Christian army is the only ones that shoot themselves in the foot. So that's self-inflicted friendly fire, isn't it? I think we need to think about that because that's what's happening, isn't it? Jet airplane sent a missile over the phone and somebody loses, don't they? And when that happens, there's a lot of loss in that. Any other comments? Any hands I missed? Well, Leland did a good job on his lesson. He took some of my thunder on gossip. But I want us to look at, real quick, some questions for us, not that we are giving gossip, but we're receiving it. We're the person receiving it. So that's going to be a little different, isn't it, than us saying, well, you know, this happened, this happened. 
These are questions to help us with that or to think about it or to ask ourselves these questions. The first one is, is how do I know it's true? How do I know what this person that got a hold of me is telling me about something else, someone else, somebody else, whatever's happening, how do I know it's true? Because technically it's hearsay, isn't it? Because somebody else heard it and they're telling me. If you look at Proverbs 12, 17, Proverbs 12, 17, it says, He who speaks truth declares righteousness, but a false witness deceit. When we think about this and think about somebody talking and they're not sure if it's true or not, look at verse 19 of the same chapter. The truth of the lips shall be established forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. And then I put 20 and 22. In 20 it says, Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but counselors of peace have joy. And then 22 goes back to lying. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal truthfully are his delight. You know, when, when you're in a court of law, the truth, you're required to tell the truth, aren't you, when you're testifying? I mean, you can lie, be charged with perjury, can't you? But usually in the courts, when it's a, a matter of criminal law, they usually don't just have one witness, do they? And when the Lord said that there was a witness of something, he didn't go by one witness, did he? It had to be more than one witness. But the real question is, for you and I, as Christians, dealing with other Christians or dealing with a Christian issue is, shouldn't we know the truth before we accept it? Shouldn't we be willing to find out what the truth is and go, I'm not sure about this. Any comments about the truth? The second one up here, if you turn to Romans 1.28, I put, do, you, do I violate a confidence to tell it? In Romans 1.28, Romans 1 and verse 28, what it's going to do is list all these things that people are doing that are sinful and says, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do things which are not fitting. And in there, we see a maliciousness, envy, murder. And in my version, in verse 29, at the very end, it says whispers, which are gossipers. And then in 31, it says... Undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, and unmerciful. So the question is if we believe that we should take care of our brothers and sisters and that they should receive more from us than what we're asking and that we should always honor them and uphold our neighbors, don't we? need to know 
if we're violating somebody out here, uh, the confidence that maybe it was given to somebody in confidence. You know what Galatians 6 verse 2 is going to say, but we'll go to it. Galatians 6 and verse 2. In Galatians 6 verse 2, it's already told us that if someone's overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness or meekness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. And then what does it say? Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill what? The law of who? Christ. So here's a, an issue that says, are we violating something by changing this around or listening to it? The third one I put up here, and I only have four. Leland did a good job with gossip, but I just wanted these four. This is important. What good need does my listener, do my listeners have for this info? You know, something that's given to me, what need do I see that somebody else needs to hear this? Look at 11 and 13, back, going back to Proverbs. Proverbs 11, 13. Proverbs 11 and verse 13. It says, A talebearer reveals secrets, but he who is of a faithful spirit does what with the matter? He holds it, doesn't he? He doesn't give it out. When you go to 18 and verse 8, Proverbs 18 and verse 8, just a few pages over. Let me read 6 through 8, Proverbs 18, 6 through 8. A fool's lips enter into contention, and his mouth calls for blows. A fool's mouth is his destruction, and his lips are the snare of his soul. We talked about the fool on the very first lesson. Now in verse 8, the words of a talebearer are like tasty trifles, and they go down into the innermost body. So our question is, do we really need to pass this on to somebody else? When you go to 20, just a few pages over, 20 and verse 19, it says, he who goes about as a talebearer reveals secrets. Therefore, go happily with him wherever he goes, and he'll take care of you. Is that what it says? It says, no, therefore do not associate with one who flatters with his lips. When we think about that, it's saying you're going to get yourself in trouble, aren't you? It's like we see in Corinthians, what does it say? Bad company corrupts what? Good morals. Well, the last one that I have up here is, am I the one who should convey this info, and what are my motives? In other words, is it my job to pass this along when I've heard this, don't know if it's true, don't know if it violates the confidence, don't know if, if my listeners need to hear this. Well, go back to 12 and look at verse 18. 12 and 18, it says, 
There is one who speaks like the piercings of the sword, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. So there's a difference here that says, should I be that person to convey that? Should I, since I've received this, make this decision to go on? Well, these are just some of the questions that we need to ask ourselves as the recipient, not the giver of gossip, but the recipient. A little bit different, isn't it? Any comments on these? David has one. Or some. Well, this might be a little simplistic, but I heard one time that if we're not part of the problem and we're not part of the solution to the problem, then we should keep it to ourselves. Proverbs 26 says, where there's no wood, the fire goes out. And truly, you can't know if something is true unless you are part of the problem or part of the solution. You know, unless you were there and part of the problem. Uh, and, and, you know, and I know Leland talked about this, but just watching the news even. Walking past the television, overhear something, and, you know, it gets your blood pressure up or whatever. But I have to stop and ask myself, how can I even know that that is true? Especially today. I have no way of knowing if that is true. And I think we have to be careful in this age of social media when we share something or like something. If we don't know that that is true, we don't need to be sharing it. We don't need to be liking it. We don't even need to be in that loop, do we? You know, it's just like uh, one other thing. It's just like emails. Sometimes have you gotten an email and you've gone, what? And when you call the person, it's not at all what you're thinking. Yes, ma'am. way, then we shouldn't be discussing it. Exactly. There's humility involved, isn't there? Uh, another one back here. I don't know if this would be helpful to anybody, but I heard an acronym one time that um, it, it's, it, was, it was helpful to me. So the acronym is THINK before you speak. So the THINK, the T can actually either be true or thoughtful. Um, the H would be helpful important, necessary, and kind. So thoughtful, helpful, important, necessary, and kind. Think before you um, say, say those things to someone else. Good point. Anybody else? Well, I put these questions up. Now the question is, what's the result of these? Well, if you look at Proverbs 18 and verse 19, it says, a brother offended is harder to win than a strong city, and contentions are like the bars of a castle. This is an important verse for several reasons. Number one, who is being offended here? Is somebody out there in the public or somebody, and which doesn't matter really, but it's saying who? It's a brother. That puts it on a different scale, doesn't it? How we treat our brothers. And what it's saying is, if there's this offensive thing that has happened, or offensive things, 
and we are detrimental to this brother, it's not easy to bring him back, is it? I mean, think of it. When you've been misinterpreted or whatever, you don't like it. You know, reputation and things. It's offended. There's a second part of this that's important. It says it's harder to win than a strong city. Every time you've read in the Bible, when somebody knows that it's going to be difficult to go up here and take this particular group of people, do they say we can do it with five? Well, I mean, if the Lord's with them. But what's in the mind of a, of a strategist? Right, three to one odds. That's what the military wants, don't they? And the odds have to be that you're better equipped, better ready. I'm talking about more ammunition. You always know in law enforcement everything's going good when they say send more ammunition. But what it's saying there is it takes a lot of people to take that city, and even with a lot of people, this offended brother's not coming around, is he? And then the worst part is, it talks about these bars in the castle that's holding who back? The brother's held back, isn't he? He's in jail. There's nothing he can do about it. He can't get out and defend himself. Or, or we're in there doing the same thing. So this offensiveness to the brother with our tongues have caused us possibly to lose a brother or a sister. And that is a bad commentary for our tongue, isn't it? Any questions with that, with that verse? It's a little more in depth than we realize. Well, when you look at the positive side of the tongue, a word, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. Gold and silver being important metals to us. It says pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. So it comes back to how are we treating, let's say, our brother? How are we adjusting to that? And then last but not least, there's metaphors, metaphors about a wise tongue. It says it's like choice silver. We don't have time to read each of these verses. About health, the tree of life, a precious jewel uh, when, when the wise tongue is involved. And we, we know that, that it's important for wisdom and understanding. We talk about those words on the front end. But I think sometimes we don't realize how detrimental the tongue can be. Any last minute comments before the children come out? Thanks for your attention.